When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Good evening and welcome to this week's UK Film Review Podcast. Have we? I, I think we've been away over Christmas. I'm not sure if anything came up, but we're here. It's the new year, 2022. Everyone get your jab and lateral flow test. Let's get ready for another exciting year. But while we're getting ready for another exciting year, let's slip into a world of fine coffee, lovely cherry pie, and dreamlike insanity because we are talking about David Lynch, dun, dun, dun. the silver fox himself, the beautiful man, the mindscape of a human. Uh, today with me on this mystical dreamlike journey, we have Brian. Hello, Brian. Hi, how you doing? You're all right? Ooh, yeah, I'm fine. I'm in the zone now. I'm, I'm into it. Comedy I can tell. <laughs> I can tell you're in the, in the zone. I'm, I'm impressed by your intro. I've got to raise well, my game off, now, haven't I? That was off the cuff. That was off the cuff. I was ready. And uh, we're also joined with Jason. Hello. Hello, everybody. Good to be here. Energy. I'm living for that. Um, David Lynch, he's been going around since the 70s, like a plague, which we're all used to by now, um, which is very exciting. Um, he is up there in one of my all-time favorite directors. He's made one of my all-time favorite films. But the thing is, I find with David Lynch is you're either you know who he is or you have no idea who he is because he's not immensely... Um, you know, a Hollywood guy, is he? He's kind of low key, you know, he kind of keeps himself to his little obscure movies, which is awesome. But 
the question I'm going to ask everyone to start this podcast with is, um, how did everyone get into David Lynch? That is the thing. Brian, hit me yeah. up with how you found wow. our Silver Fox. Yeah, yeah um, that's a good one. I, I think really his second film, The Elephant Man, which was made in 1980, was the film that really turned me on to David Lynch. Mm. Um, a wonderful story uh, that gives you the best and worst of human nature, really. John Merrick, beautiful soul trapped in a disabled body. Um, but you see beauty in the way that people care for him, but ugliness in the way that people exploited him. And mm. I think one thing about David Lynch is that before he started making films, he, he, he trained as a painter and an artist, and you see the skill that he has with shade and light and colour, and it makes his films visually arresting. Uh, and they are beautiful to look at. And I think The Elephant Man is, is a great example of that. Shot in black and white, it just looks amazing. You you just sit back in awe at the, the way he projects images. Uh, but I think what Elephant Man does for me is it it, it provides a, a, a coherent storyline that has real clarity. Um, I think a lot of David Lynch's films uh, go off their own way a bit a bit too often sometimes, but and they become more challenging as a result. But I think mm. Elephant Man stands out for me because it had that cl- it had clarity in the narrative. But uh, a lot of uh, Lynch's films are very interpretational, aren't they? Um, no one wants to give the Elephant Man a hug. I mean, why is that? Do you think, that? though? <laughs> why rag. is that? I can imagine that <laughs> the, the Elephant Man's outfit. I just when you watch mm. that movie, like, and you look at his weird rag outfit i just feel like yeah. it doesn't smell good like i feel like it, i want to spritz him with some febreze he's got bigger yeah. things to worry about than what cologne <laughs> to wear that day so i just get this vibe that the elephant man doesn't smell great which is a shame maybe he smelled fantastic we don't know maybe he's spritzing the dior yeah, but i yeah, just feel like that maybe wasn't a thing <laughs> the look the look doesn't work well does it really I, I suppose it doesn't chime well with the victorian era i guess but, but the thing is though he, he kind of got towards it didn't he because if you i mean if you uh, watch the elephant man and you watch the story gradually unfold and frederick trees played by anthony hopkins begins to care for him and he begins to dress up a bit and he, he does wear some very nice suits you know um Ooh, bit of armani Oh yeah, the yeah, a bit of money. Goes <laughs> goes to the theatre, you know, and all that, you know. So he did become a cool celeb, um, but I, I think what gives it more more punch is that it, it is a true story that John Merrick mm. did live, and as I say, with a lot of um, David Lynch's films, they are very, you know, he's been called surrealist, hasn't he? He's been called a Renaissance man. I think there's a lot of truth in that. But I suppose really, The Elephant Man has got its strength because it works along more conventional lines. And you don't have to work quite as hard. But other films made by David Lynch do make you work a little bit. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I think The Elephant Man kind of does it for me. Uh, where who, tried to buy the elef- who tried to buy The Elephant Man's bones? Was it Michael Jackson? Yeah, I think it was. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like you're right. You I forgot all about that. Like, who owns his bones? Dig up yeah. his corpse. No. <laughs> yeah, I forgot all about that. Yes, he did, didn't he? He Someone tried to. Yeah, really. they tried to yeah. buy the what did Michael Jackson need them for? That's not in keeping with his aesthetic of his Peter Pan themed Wonderland house. No. Oh, here's my Disney memorabilia and these bones. <laughs> like it's just not the same. What's, oh, Michael uh, Jackson was an icon within his own ways. You know, he was living uh, his best life. I guess, I guess when you earn that much money, you run out of things to buy, don't you? As well, you know. Uh, where, do, where do you get the man that has everything and more? 
The Elephant Man uh, Bones. The Elephant Man. The Elephant Man Bones, yeah. Oh, good yeah. old Michael Jackson. Oh, uh, Jason, yeah. what is your Lynch intro? How did you find the man, the legend, the myth? Well, I first became interested in David Lynch after I saw Bullholland Drive. Mm. I'd seen a couple of David films, David Lynch films before I saw that, but that was the one that made it for me because, you know, I guess it's because mostly because of the way it is, uh, David Lynch dis- uh, chooses to tell a story. You know, it's not straightforward. He's a rather uh, visionary director. He's a surrealist. And Holland Drive just, I think it's one of his best work, in my opinion. Beautifully mm. shot. And the, the acting is great. And the, the story, you know, it can be hard to understand. And, and I, get, I think that's what I like about David Lynch films, because they're not straightforward. They're, some of them are mysteries. And I think that why, that is one of the reasons why they are liked by the public. Yeah, definitely. I mean, my intro to Lynch was, um, it was romantic. Oh, what? Uh, I had a boyfriend and he was working for a a rival, a rival film review uh, people, company, whatever you Mm -hmm. want to call. And he had to, he did DVD box sets and he did the Twin Peaks Gold Edition DVD box set that came out like 2009 or something. They did that special Mm -hmm. box set with all the additional features. And he was watching that like, all the time when I would pop round because it's obviously so extensive and long. And uh, I just kind of got sucked into the scene where uh, Dale Cooper is in the um, vet's office and there's a llama in there. And I was like, (laughs) what are you watching? Like, what even Uh... is this? And it just like the... And just picking up on all the subtleties of like, there's always food involved in Twin Peaks. There was always like, you know the obscurity of dale cooper but more than that i just got sucked into the weird atmosphere of that show it's very atmospheric without even trying to be for it particularly for a television show and uh, it has a very calming feel to it even though it's very crazy and like ominous with laura palmer's death and everything um and i just yeah and he gave me mulholland drive which was the first film of his that i watched and yeah i just got sucked in and was like yeah i'm in i'm into this i love this vibe but funnily enough like brian i saw the elephant man first but i didn't know at the time it was a david lynch film but yeah twin peaks just pushed me right off the edge into it all i think twin peaks is an incredible sorry jason you're gonna say something no go ahead brian yeah, I was no, I was going to say. I think Twin Peaks is an incredibly stylish uh, mm. piece of filmmaking. I mean, I mean, one thing that I think is interesting about David Lynch is that he he made films, then went into TV with Twin Peaks. And now I know he made the Twin Peaks prequel that was a feature film, but it's very at the time it was very unusual to see a movie director go back into TV. TV was something you did when you were on the way up or on the way down. But mm. now we, we know TV has equal status in terms of budgets, has equal status with films. And that, but you see, back then, it was quite daring to do that and to mix the two. But I think Tw- Twin Peaks, it, visually stunning. I, I always come back to the same uh, conclusion with, with, with Lynch, is that these films are visually amazing. There's so much going on there. Um, lots yeah, of symbolism. And I think that uh, with, you know. Yeah, I think Twin Peaks is, um, he kind of just... Maybe he went into it. I mean, we'll never know. He's very, uh, he's often quite obscure with his explanations for things as well. But I feel like Twin Peaks was like, he could exploit symbolism and these long running like ideas of his and really pad them out over this whole, 
town because in a movie you've got a very limited amount of time to introduce each character and get into their backstory and stuff but with Twin Peaks there is not one character if you think about it where we're not fully aware of them they have their own backstory do you know what I mean they have their own yeah. like um, environment if you will and I think David Lynch obviously to him TV is just one big exploration of character development yeah. and them living in this little weird town yeah, you have more time. You've got more time with TV to stretch out more. As you rightly points out, with any film, you could be looking at two hours, two hours 20, and that's not a lot of screen time really to flesh out characters in the way you'd like to. So I, I think TV lends itself more naturally to, to a more expansive format when you're developing characters. Uh, but I think he, he proved how well it could be done and also how you can take cinematic qualities onto the small screen and vice versa uh, which I think is really interesting as well Jason have you seen Twin Peaks I know you've not seen the movie but did you see the TV series no I'm afraid I haven't I guess I'm missing <gasps> something yeah blasphemy blasphemy it's so <laughs> good it's it's just so it's very comforting to watch I don't know if you feel the same way Brian it's strangely yeah. comforting uh yeah, I think comforting is one way of describing it, but I think it's just very engrossing. Um, yes. You can get, I mean, the thing is, he, he, use, he uses actors, you know, like all di great directors, he uses this, the same pool of actors for all his films. Mm. And there's something comforting in seeing familiar faces. And you know, great directors will work with the same pool of actors because they understand them. They know what they're after. And you get this fascinating... Um, myriad of characters and visuals and getting back to symbolism again uh, in the way they all interact and you know in um twin peaks you, you had some great actors i mean you had david bowie harry dean stanton you know carl mcclacklin who's always a regular in in um oh chris uh, isaac Lynch. was in the movie as well chris yeah, isaac the country yeah. singer was in yeah. Firewalk with me which was so weird Kiefer sutherland was in that bit as well i know i know what is you happening? see yeah, but you see the thing is, films like that draw you in, not for the most obvious reasons. And that's what Twin Peaks does, because you think, God, this is so cool. You know, you know David Lynch is a great director, but you can't always figure out why he's great. But you just know he is. And he, he pulls you in, you think, God, this is amazing. But it makes you work hard. And as you say, though, that there is something comforting about it, because it draws you in to uh, an environment that's not yours. This is escapism, I think, really, isn't it? I mean, we watch films to, uh, as a form of escapism to get out of our, mm. the drudgery of our, our mundane life. lives. Yeah, well, <laughs> routine. We get out of the routine of life, don't we, with a good film. Yeah, and that's definitely. what I think Twin, that's what Twin Peaks does. Um, but, you know, I mean, there's no question it, it's good. And Jason, get hold of a, a good box set, sit down with a, a cup of tea and a, Big slab of galaxy chocolate and, and work your way through it because Whoa, 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 you can't watch Twin Peaks with tea and galaxy chocolate. It's gotta be what? coffee and pie. Coffee and pie really? What if you don't because normally drink loves... coffee though? Yeah, but because Dale Cooper loves coffee and pie, doesn't oh. he, in Twin Peaks? Oh, you're getting into the method now, aren't you? You know, you're Oh, it's oh. all coming together now, Brian. Oh, wow, I see. Pie. This is oh. damn fine coffee, Diane. Like, he's obsessed with it, isn't he? Like, he's maybe I'll, yeah, maybe I'll have to try pie. that next time. Yeah, I'll have to try that next like time. I, see. I don't like pie. What sort of pie? Apple? All pie. Yeah. I don't like pie. Why is food inside food? Stop doing that. I don't want pie. Get away from oh, me. Like, it's weird. Okay. And then in England, it's like meat. 
Stop. <laughs> um, when you said pie, I just thought of fruit in a pie. Yeah, that's really American go. pie, isn't it? Like cherry pie and apple pie. Oh uh, yeah. Like Jason's yeah. like, what are you even talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Jason, do you like pie? Sure, I like pie. <laughs> I like, yeah, do you like pie? What's your favorite pie? I, I like chicken pie. I oh, like all kinds pie. of pie. I like all kinds of pie. Yeah. It's stodge. Anything stodgy and heavy. Oh, it makes me just think it's, it just makes me depressed. It's too much food. It's like too <laughs> heavy. I don't want that much pie in my life. But when you watch Twin Peaks, Jason, they love to eat pie. So eat yeah. pie and drink coffee and watch Twin Peaks. And then you're done. That's it. That's your life no, is fulfilled. Not popcorn and Pepsi. No, not popcorn and no. Pepsi. No. Oh my God. No. I used to okay. love Pepsi Max. Back in the day, I haven't yeah. drunk soda in like twenty years. I have a very uh, dull. You see, that's very that's very Spielberg, though, isn't it? Really, you know, popcorn and and soft drinks. You know, it that that's kind of that's a Spielberg movie to me. Very uh, American. The, oh, of course it is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, very American. Yeah. But, but Lynch is very life. Lynch is very American as well, though, isn't he? Really. Well, yeah, I mean, he does fetishize food a lot in Twin Peaks, so it's weird that we're talking about food. I tell you what makes me really hungry is when I watch Twin Peaks is when they have all the scenes and there's loads of donuts on the table. And it's like <laughs> there's this constant – Jason's going to – when you watch this, you're going to see what I mean. There's this fetishism of, like, um, <laughs> breaded goods, like donuts, yeah. sandwiches. Like, we call them yum-yums in, here, in this country, but I don't know what they call them in America – and it's like obsessive with the amount of like pie sandwiches and donuts that they consume. If you're on a diet avoiding carbs, don't watch Twin Peaks. It's too much. It's every scene. It's just bread. It's it upsets me. It's you know like the Sixth Sense where you see dead people. If you watch Twin Peaks, mm. you see bread people because that's all mm. they do. Is they just consume bread. It's very yeah. short. how people aren't more fat in that show is beyond me. Um, mm. But. <laughs> <laughs> it's mm. absolutely it it yeah, they they're eating all those donuts and no one's fat what's happening i know i know that's not the that's kind of consumption we can get into yeah but you see that that's what the movies can do though it can create an alternate universe can't it Wait, well i'm sorry can... if i can live in twin peaks and eat that many donuts i'm going there now <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's, it's almost like a utopia isn't it really yeah. and the strip club by... one-eyed jacks that and donuts <laughs> I'm happy. I am happy. <laughs> there is a lot of beautiful people in Twin Peaks. Um, oh, what's the young girl's name who ends up working in One Eye Jacks? And she has a crush um, on Dale Cooper. Oh. Um, uh, 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 Audrey. Just... Audrey. Audrey. Is that her is name? Is that the character's she... name? Yeah, that's her character's name. Ah, uh, right. Yeah. Okay. She's gorgeous. She is so beautiful. I love her. We've gone off topic as always. It's just who does Rachel find attractive this week? Uh, everyone, in Twin, everyone in Twin Peaks is game. Everyone I love in everyone Twin Peaks, yeah. Everyone's gorgeous in Twin Peaks. I even love Leland, her dad, the crazy guy. He's gorgeous. He's got such good energy. And he's also in loads of movies. It's really weird. I don't know the actor's name. Yeah, I'm just trying to trying to look who that is. Anyway, yeah, I, um, I can't remember his name, but he seems to crop up everywhere. Once you see his face, he's in it. Yeah, he's in everything. Yeah, there are some. But that's what makes the film work even better, though, isn't it? Where you've got this very attractive cast, and mm. you might not say that's entirely realistic because nobody is quite that that beautiful and that perfect. But I mean, that's almost in some ways what gives it more more shine, isn't it? That makes it more enticing in some ways. Mm. 
talking um, of beautiful yeah. people who live in a fake perfect world it's been and who's going to feel old if they saw it the first time around because i didn't thank god it's been 20 years since dun, 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 mulholland drive Woo! yeah and i, I will just I, say off the bat everyone in that movie is really good looking as well and i love yeah. it yeah <laughs> yeah of course yeah uh there's no question about that i i I did see the film when it first came out, um, oh. and it doesn't seem like 20 years ago to me. But then again, nothing ever does. You become more conscious of how quickly time passes as you get older, I think. But it, look, it's a, it's a wonderful film, but it's wonderful for not the most obvious reasons, because it is very, very, as Jason just mentioned, it is very challenging and very difficult to follow at times. You know, um, you know, you is it, is it a homage to uh, classic Hollywood, you know, where you've got these two uh, characters, one's the failed actor and the other one is the, the fresh-faced wannabe, you know? I mean, but was was the end really the beginning? And was it all really a dream? I mean... I've deep-dived into Mulholland Drive recently. Oh. I've been watching fan theories on YouTube because, of course, that is clearly the most reliable source of information. Oh, of course <laughs> it is. Yeah, no question. <laughs> Um, and there's all these theories that I've now learned about. So I'm interested into what you two think Mulholland yeah. Drive is. Jason, you said you've seen this You've seen this one. You like this one. It's your favorite. What do you think Mulholland Drive is actually about? <laughs> no one knows what the movie's about. What do you think Mulholland Drive is in your perspective? Is it a dream? Is it a lie? What is it? Well, it's hard to say what is reality and what is not what is fantasy i mean basically it's okay it's about this actress she, al- she arrives in hollywood and there's this other woman who's apparently an actress as well and she was involved in this car accident and the two of them meet up and they trying to find out who's a uh, the actress she because uh the actress who was in an accident she has a, she suffers she ends up suffering from amnesia and they try to find out who she is and after that they're their characters change. They become they become other people, don't they? And they, and mm. uh, one of them is now a failed actress, and the other one is a successful actress. You know, it's kind of it's kind of hard to tell which has what is the true story, which one is not. You know, it's maybe maybe they're both fake. You know, it, I guess it, I guess it ultimately it may be open to interpretation, in my opinion. But- I, I th- yeah, I, th- I think it's probably a bit of both, actually. That, that one half is a dream sequence, and the mm-hmm. other half is a more conventional, straight-ahead narrative. Um, and the, the dream sequence is, is really the relationship between the two women. Mm-hmm. And the second half is, is dealing with the, the hiring of the hitman. Um, mm-hmm. That's the way I see it. But, do you know... The, the, because it's Lynch, you you think there's something else going on there. There's something. It's almost misdirection. It, it's kind of uh, he's he's asking lots of questions of the audience, but, but he's get, he's offering you two alternatives there. But he's also making you think it could be something else as well. And that's what's really quite quite compulsive about it, but quite annoying at the same time. Uh, but it's, it's it's beautifully put together, though. It's beautifully made. 
I remember the first time I watched it again, the ex-boyfriend gave it to me and I, I kind of was, it was a background thing and I was faffing around and I didn't get it. You can't watch Lynch in the background. Let's learn that lesson. No, you can't. No, we, absolutely you not. You can't. That's just point. No. I remember the homeless tramp scene where the guy leans out at, at the diner winkies and I was just like, oh, that's weird. And then I kind of like zoned out and I was like, I don't know this movie. But, um, and then I come back in and it's like, everyone's depressed. I was like, what did I miss and stuff? Yeah. But like, the theory that I've heard, the many theories that I've explored into the Mulholland Drive thing, I watched it recently again, and I was mm. like, yeah, this is really back and forth, what's happening. So the theory is, the bit at the diner with the guy, when when they're in the diner at Winkies, and he explains the dream, and then he sees the tramp at the door um, behind the diner, yeah. that is meant to be Rita's dream within Betty's dream. So that's almost... Oh redundant because there's two bookend cutscenes where you see rita go to sleep in the, the bushes outside the house and then she falls back asleep under the table in the the house that's meant to be the right. bookends and that's meant to be her dream within the dream i know it gets so extensive doesn't it oh, and then God. all of the relationship between them two yeah is betty's fantasy of what her life was going to be when she got to hollywood but instead mm. she observed it from afar so she sees yeah. the reality in the girl being successful with the director and so she's fantasized about it all and out of jealousy and rage she hires the hitman the blue key is the calling card but then all the dream sequence comes full circle doesn't it with the tramp then mm. having the little box yeah. with the key yeah. so that's what i've research that they're like dreams within dreams within dreams over reality because she's become so despondent with Hollywood that she's just given up and it's she basically just gave up and had this fantasy of what could have been and never was which is why everyone in mm. her fantasy is so polite which is why you know the cab is there when she leaves the airport, mm. airport already loading up her bags that's why everyone's so forgiving and like oh there's a stranger mm. in my flat that's okay like it's all never going to happen in real life if we went into our apartment that our auntie left us and there was someone yeah. in the shower, you wouldn't be as polite as she was, you know? No, I know. Yeah, I, I think that's that's one angle. There are so many ways you could look mm -hmm. at this, aren't they? But I, I, the first thing that hit me about it when I first started watching it is that this this is uh, because of the the poster of Rita Hayworth that it that it that it is kind of harking back to the classic Hollywood era and what the aspirations of a young mm -hmm. actor would have been going to Hollywood and, and that's the kind of the clash between uh, reality and illusion. There's you know, a very the, good bit when she hires the hitman that makes me, which reminds me of what you're saying is because uh, she hands yeah. the hitman a headshot of the woman and he go and he goes a headshot and she's like, everyone's got one in this town. You know, that, yeah. that glory of Hollywood that really yeah. isn't there. That veneer is really not, everyone's trying to make it. So you're a, you know, small fish yeah. in a big pond at that yeah. point, you know? Yeah, so I, I think that that's probably where, where it's going. But you see, the thing is, though, the fact that we're discussing it in this way and that there is a thriving online community um, devoted to discussing what the film really means and what it's about, Lynch is probably sitting back thinking, yep, yeah, job done. You know, my, He openly my... said Mulholland Drive was one of his movies that was always open to interpretation and he was never going to explain what it meant. Yeah. So don't, good for yeah. him. <laughs> good for him. Yeah, but don't you think though that that he's he's done what he set out to do is to mm. is to create a, a piece that's challenging, confusing, you know, in equal measure. And you think mm. 
Right, he's done what he set out to do, is to make people curious about something. And that curiosity doesn't end, because every time you watch that film, you see something slightly different. And it yeah. is almost a bit like a painting, isn't it? That you, you twist it and you turn it a certain way, and you, you see something different in it. And again, well, it comes back st- to... No, yeah, carry sorry, on. <laughs> yeah. no, and it comes back to... We're just going to talk Go on, over carry each other. On. We'll just do that for the rest of the podcast. We'll just talk over each other. <laughs> There's After all the you, subtleties, Rachel. isn't there? Like the, um, yeah. the uh, waitress's badge pin is Betty, and that's the name where she got it from. And like, yeah. there's all those little hints to show, like, yo, this was your dream. And if you keep going back and you keep watching it, obviously I've spoiled it for myself by watching a YouTube, numerous YouTube videos on it. I saw them all instantly. But obviously yeah. if you hadn't, done that and you were fresh to it you could watch Mulholland Drive several times before you went oh hang on a minute oh hang on a minute oh that's then oh wait mm. and yeah Betty was her name and you could go you could go yeah. mad and Lynch is a genius at that yeah I think he can do that he's very intricate in, in the way mm. he projects ideas on the screen and you could you can see something different and in some ways I, I think this cropped up in another podcast we were doing that we can have too much knowledge of a film before we see it you know, even where you get your, your traditional sort of trailers, um, I'm, obviously we've got spoilers now that can tell us everything about a movie, but there's so much out there now about a film that you can't go into it watching a film without any kind of preconceptions. You know, we very rarely see a film totally fresh, you know, yeah. and that's what, what you gain. I think, and that's particularly important with a Lynch movie. Um, because you've got everyone, everyone else is putting their two penny thing, but that's what he's aiming for, isn't it? He's, he's aiming for that level of intrigue where people are always going to wonder, you know? I think, um, I think what's interesting is like, I, uh, obviously again, prepping for the podcast, I, I did, um, I was looking at, I was watching some trailers and David Lynch's trailers obviously ping up because I was Googling millions of David Lynch things. And uh, I watch, even though I've seen it, I think, Jason, have you seen Eraserhead as well? Yes, I have seen that film. Oh, I so I watched the trailer for Eraserhead. I've seen Eraserhead. We've all seen Eraserhead. And I watched the mm-hmm. trailer for it and I was like, wow, that made no sense. Like, even though the movie makes no sense, the trailer is even way more obscure. It's like, Jesus. So it's it's like you were saying, there is absolutely, the trailer for Mulholland Drive doesn't make sense. The trailer for Firewalk With Me, Twin Peaks doesn't make sense. And I like that because you, you're going into these films almost blindfolded. You're going in almost on title alone, you know? But and in some ways, exciting. that's yeah. I think so. I think it's a good thing, though. In some ways, you know, you want some idea. You want some idea of what you're getting. But if you know it's a David Lynch film, you think, right, I'm gonna expect the unexpected because it just he just throws so many ideas at you, uh, and yeah. it's best to, it's best to, in some ways not know about them. Um, but a Razorhead, though, is it's one of those sort of films you think, right, yeah. He's got something here, but it's God. It's, that's heavy going, though. I think that's probably the heaviest film that he's made in terms of. I've only watched Eraserhead once, like yourself. I yeah. was going to watch it today, um, but I haven't had time. Um, all I remember is Alien Baby, Cheese Face Lady, um, and then the main guy with his hair, and then the couple that is mm. an old elderly couple and stuff. Um, mm. Yeah, and the alien baby's all wrapped up in the blankets and stuff. But I actually don't, because I tried to watch the trailer to refresh, didn't help. Um, mm. Trash. But, like, I actually don't really remember the premise of Eraserhead. I remember he was um, very unconditionally loving towards his weird alien baby, though. Yeah. Which was nice. Um, yeah. 
do you guys remember what Eraserhead is about? Fill me in. Hit me up with the tea. What's going on with the uh, alien baby? Cheese face it's, baby. Yeah, it's it's been so long since I've seen it. I mean, I, strongest memory is what you've just mentioned, and also the <laughs> fact that he that he's that he's caring for this grossly deformed child in a, in a very bleak industrial landscape. But that's about as far as it takes me. But I remember it being a very difficult watch. And it was a very long time ago when I saw it. Jason, have you seen it any more recently? Yeah, I've seen it many times. It was, I think it's uh, pretty impressive considering that it is a David Lynch first feature film. It was filmed during mm. a, a five-year period, if I'm not mistaken. Right. And it's and it's I think it's very well made film. You know, it's filmed in black and white. It's a rather dark film, as, as I think you already mentioned, Brian. And yeah. But but I do like it. So it, it's not for everybody, you know. Of course, it's not, it's not for everybody. I don't think. But you know, I really do admire its creativity. Mm. I, I I don't th- th- think there are some films that David Lynch makes that some are more accessible than others. And I think Eraserhead is probably one of the less accessible films. Of yeah, of David I agree Lynch. with that. <laughs> I but cannot you, tell you what it's way, really about. Sorry, sorry, yeah, Brian. Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say you. Pr- it's probably one more for the fans, isn't it? I think. I was trying to read the plot synopsis right now on Wikipedia, if you just wondered if why I checked out vacantly then. Um, And that also doesn't really make that much sense. (laughs) The the woman is, yeah, they move into the apartment um, of the couple the girl's parents because he's ha- she's having the baby there's a man in the planet which is obviously the moon face person who moves levers in his home in space while henry spencer floats in the sky and it's classed as a sperma to zoon like creature emerging from spencer's mouth yeah mm. even if you just read the synopsis here on wikipedia yeah. i'm like what does this mean do you know what yeah. i mean like what is happening i know but it's I know. brilliant but- even if you watch that movie and Obviously, there's going to be some people, let's not drag people, but there's going to be some people who may not be cinema nerds such as ourselves and be all like, oh, mm. the symbolism. They might just watch it by chance and go, what the hell is happening? But even with David Lynch, and I think that that is an effect that a lot of people feel with David Lynch, you still can't deny how beautiful the movie is. You can still get involved in the cinematography. And, you know, I mean, it's just outrageousness it's crazy characters and that sucks you in even if you don't understand the storyline which i don't really remember fully understanding the storyline of eraserhead i was very attracted to um the characters even the weird alien baby who i think looks like my dog (laughs) 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 she's really wrapped up in blankets (laughs) like that (laughs) but i think i think it's it's the the kind of film that's not going to appeal to everyone. They won't get it. Mm. But as you just mentioned, though, Rachel, it's what you it's what you gain from it yourself. I mean, whether you're us film nerds will go with it no matter what because we're yeah. curious and we want to we want to sort of see where where it takes us and what we get from it. But for a lot for a lot of film fans, it would be far too dense, too heavy, too bleak, and too too surreal. I mean, that's a word that's often, often applied to uh, David Lynch's films. They are surreal. And it I doesn't mean, a woman has to... a cheese-based face, so yeah, it's pretty surreal. <laughs> yeah, I know. And you think, you do, you do t- tend to think, what? And, you know, what is it, an hour and a half? And it, you, mm. I suppose you, some people might think to themselves, why would I devote 90 minutes of my life to watching a film like that, where I, I might not get it or understand it, or I might not be able to get under the skin of it. 
properly. I think it depends how much you want to immerse yourself in it, in a film like that. Yeah. If you if you're open minded, then then it's it's rewarding. But I think there are probably more immediately rewarding films that David Lynch made later. But it's it's that kind of film, I think, really. I think an interesting transition into rewarding films from David Lynch that are kind of like in the midway. Because like, I think we can all agree, Elephant Man is very accessible. Eraserhead is very unaccessible. Mulholland Drive is kind of semi-unaccessible. Another one that kind of falls in the middle with Mulholland Drive is Blue Velvet. I, I think that, yeah, I think that's probably... <laughs> I don't know why I'm singing it. <laughs> it. Yeah, it's that song. because it's, it's an old fifties hit, isn't it, by Bobby Vincent? And mm. that that kind of drew, drew me in a little bit at the time, really, because it, the height of the eighties. Again, it's another film that I saw when it first came out. I'm giving away my age here, but there you go. 1986, uh, it came out. Brian, how old are you? Were you born during the Lincoln era? Are you okay? <laughs> <laughs> how old? Are you? <laughs> how old am I? Well, old enough to old enough to be an adult in the eighties. No, you have to play the game on all the podcasts. We always play the game. How old is everyone? If you <laughs> went to the cinema to see Blue Velvet, that's 1986. I'm looking up stats now. I'm going to figure you out, Brian. Oh, oh go on, uh, figure me out. Yeah. The film, what's its rating? Oh my god, I need to know the rating. It's an R rating in America, so that's an 18 over here. So you would have had to have been 18 in 1986. That's right, yeah. Well, yeah, at least, yeah. Mm, so you've got to be like, wait, are you in your late 40s? <laughs> no. 50s? Uh, 110. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm in my 50s, it's fair no to say. Way. Jason, how old are you? I don't, I have no idea with you. I am 37. Oh, stop it. You men and your joys today. I, for once, everyone, round of applause. I'm the youngest person on one of the podcasts. I've never hey. been the youngest person on one of the podcasts. I feel young. <laughs> I'm so validated. Anyway, for you dinosaurs, Blue Velvet, let's talk about it. Now, joking. <laughs> Um, I've only seen Blue Velvet once and the whole scene with the gas mask and the prostitute um, yeah yeah, I was that was iconic and I was like all right let's I mean when he finds the ear all of it just there's so many parts that stay so strong in my head Mm. but Brian you saw it at the cinema hit me up with your Blue Velvet feels well again it it was I remember it as being something totally different because before I saw Blue Velvet the the only other David Lynch film I saw was Elephant Man and I, I think as we've just discussed Elephant Man is more of a conventional story told in straight lines but Blue Velvet was something totally different but I thought this is so cool it's just such a an inventive and creative piece of filmmaking and also, it's got some great actors in as well. You know, it's got Laura Dern and Dennis Hopper and Isabella Rossellini. Again, actors that often crop up in these films. But Cole McLaughlin in it, the best one. I yeah, love him. He's I, sexy. I, I, I thought you might actually. I thought you might. But what? He's sexy what, even when he's old as well. Like he's doing really well. But he's really young in this, isn't he? I know it's one of his early breaks, wasn't it? I think. I think. Mm. I think for for Carl McLachlan, uh, David Lynch was, was um, a huge influence on his career. But uh, I think what Blue Velvet does, though, it, it kind of reactivated film noir, or what they call neo noir now. Um, yeah. This very sort of dark, intense thriller uh, that keeps you glued to the screen. It, it does that, you know. Um, and I, I think really it was like a breath of fresh air because in the 80s at the time, in the 80s, you, you had 
sort of um, you had films that were more crowd crowd pleasing movies with strong soundtracks. You had things like Top Gun and Dirty Dancing. Ooh, that, I don't uh, like you, that movie. But you had films like that. You had uh, Footloose. You know these kind of very oh, light and frothy. What was it called? Um... The Brat Pack movies, you know, where yeah. you had all those young up-and-coming teens yeah. and they did, like, 16 Candles. Oh, I yeah. those movies. But you see, the thing is, like, that, so it was in total contrast for me. It was in total contrast to the typical film that you would be seeing. Although I thought those films were were great for what they are. It depends what you like. But Footloose. I think <laughs> Do you like that one? <laughs> it was all right. It was okay. I wouldn't put it in my um, in my top thirty films of all time for today. I've never seen no. Footloose. I love Kevin Bacon. I mean, is it just about dancing? I don't want to watch dancing. I don't care. Well, well, it well, it is kind of yeah. It, He's Footloose. It, it's heavily choreographed, isn't it? But it's got some nice pop hits in, and but you see, the thing is, in comparison to Blue Velvet, can you imagine the contrast? Between yeah, that watching type a man of film. suck oxygen through a mask while he tries yeah. to hump a hooker versus Kevin Bacon but, doing some choreographed dance moves but, really but, is a good contrast. Yeah, you, you've you've perfectly encapsulated what I was trying to articulate there, mm. Rachel. Thank you for that. Um, also, on a preface, on an earlier note, uh, Carl McLaughlin's first film was a David Lynch one. He did Dune. And then he did Blue Velvet, so he really kicked off his career. Weird. Yeah, and I forgot he was in, in. Do you call it June or Dune? I don't know, June. Dune. June Either way, June? it's it's the most popular desert-based sci-fi. There we go. Well, Sand. I mean, going on, going off at a bit of a tangent, just for a moment, if you don't mind. Um, uh, I think there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Dune, or June, uh, when uh, David Lynch made it, was one of the very few films that he made that were, was critically and commercially a flop. And the, the new, well, I think it was, to be fair. Um, but. Um, the new version of June kind of works where his version didn't because it, it told a much clearer narrative. 
Again, going back to narratives, right? Blue Velvet stands out as a David Lynch film because it is easier to follow, I I think, Um, comparatively speaking, anyway. But June, the original June that that David Lynch made was not good in comparison to the one... Upon release, Lynch disowned the final film, stating that the pressure from both producers and financiers restrained his artistic control and oh. denied him final cut privileges. It grossed that, only $30 million, but cost over $40 million yeah, to make. That that's, that sounds like the director's book of cliches to me. It's all Lynch about artistic. His, yeah, Lynch then had his name removed from certain cuts of the film and was credited under pseudonyms. Dun, dun, dun. He really hated that. Yeah, I know. It it wasn't good. And it also, it featured Sting as well. And Sting is he he's not... He's not a great actor, Sting. I don't like Sting at all. Drag, (laughs) get out of the way. I like your band, Sting, but I don't like you. Yeah, Um, I think... I think Blue Velvet is, um, like you were saying, it certainly came out at the right time. It it was um, a real good sort of like, uh, considering not many people would have probably heard of a race ahead. Dune was obviously flop. It's a flop. You know, I think blue velvet kind of had a, it had a straight off the back cult following. And also, you know, it really gave a lot of audience a good sort of preparation for what Lynch was about because Again, shortly after that was Twin Peaks, which was was mm. quite big at the time. It, a lot of people watched it. A lot of people knew mm. about it. And I think Blue Velvet set up the audience for for Lynch for show. But um, it's a tough watch. It's a very strange watch. Mm. But again, it's also a very beautiful watch. It's very stunning. It's emotional. But but again, though, I th- I think it is it is visual. Something it you know you would expect all Dick. De- all directors have have a, a grasp of, of making something that's visually effective, but I think Lynch is one of those directors that that takes it to another level almost. That the visuals can tell you everything. Some directors are more into dialogue, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think Lynch is more about visuals as much as anything else, and I, I think that's what always comes across very strongly. I think with Lynch's films is that they they are beautiful to look at. And but they're very bleak. They're very. They can be very bleak. Yeah, most Jason, of them. Jason, what's your what's your tea? What's your take on old Blue Velvet? Have you seen Blue Velvet? I think you said you had. Yeah, I've seen Blue Velvet. You know, uh, as Brian pointed out, in comparison to other David Lynch films, David Lynch films, it has a more uh, straightforward narrative. And for for me, what mostly stands out on that is the character of Dennis Hopper. You know, I think he utterly steals the show. You know, with his performance. You know, as a dangerous, menacing villain i think he's a very memorable villain in my opinion Mm. Mm -hmm. he is terrifying like his whole on-screen presence is incredibly unnerving and i think um again as i said that scene stays in my mind where um carl i can't remember carl mcclockling's character is hiding in the closet and she's Mm. been forced into sex slavery and he comes in and even though there's nothing particularly grotesque about him as a person he's not doing anything particularly like what we would class like as a horror movie, like as a horror, like he's not trying to like stab her or kill her or any of those things. He he's just so unnerving. He's so terrifying to have in the room, you know. And that mm-hmm. whole scene just makes him evil and villainous. And <clears throat> I mean, if you're going to get sold into sex slavery, the last thing you want to do is have someone with an oxygen mask situation going on. I don't want. Um, I don't, no one wants that. <laughs> I think I think Dennis Hopper though is um, had great presence. This incredible sort of presence. He. In some ways, he, he could do without a, 
the scripts at times because he had that look. It's in the eyes, you know, a lot of acting is done with the eyes. And I think Hopper had that kind of steely glare that, mm. that, that could be unnerving. And whilst I think on occasion Hopper could overact because they wanted him to overact, but sometimes when he, when he was hyping it up less, when there was less hype, then he was more, even more effective. But he, he more or less steals every scene that he was in. He was that type of actor, I think, Dennis Hopper. What else has he been in? Like, you know, when you know the name, but you're like, what have you been in? Like, he oh, a, oh, he's an Easy Rider. Easy Rider. He was in True Speed. Romance. Speed. Speed. Yeah. yeah. The Speed, bus Speed. That would never stop. Yeah, he was in True Romance as well. Absolutely. He gave one of the best speeches there, you ask me. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, he oh, did. Yeah. Romance. Out of Sicilians. True. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. With Christopher Walken. It was the scene with Christopher mm. Walken in, wasn't awesome it? Awesome scene. Yeah, that was a great scene. Legendary so, scene. Brilliant. True Romance yeah. is absolutely fantastic. Yeah. I've only yeah. seen that movie like a couple of times. I didn't watch that movie up until like two years ago, which is crazy because it's like such a cult classic and I hadn't watched it. And I love Christian Slater. I love Gary Oldman. Patricia Arquette's in it. When like I don't know what happened to her career. It kind of sort of phased off. She now does TV, but like... She was fantastic in it. Brad yeah. Pitt's in it, isn't he? Yeah, I know. Yep. Yeah, yeah, he is. Yeah. True Romance is a classic. But yeah, but you see, the, the thing is, films like that can often take a while to catch up with people because because they 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 get their initial sort of burst of attention and publicity, don't they? And with a number of films that are coming out generally, right? The one I I think sometimes the ones that are hyped up even more tend to pass you by. And you mm. do take a while to catch up with them. I think True Romance was a bit like that. It was that kind of film. Uh, but I mean, to have a fantastic cast like that as well, it's amazing. Yeah, I, my favorite thing is like the obscure movies of Brad Pitt. Like, there's so many. He did a film called California, where he's like, uh, like a criminal yeah. on the run. Yeah. Um, who was in that? Oh, that was that other la- actress who was really good in the '90s that now no one remembers. Juliette Lewis. Yes, thank you, oh. Juliet Lewis. Um, do you know what I mean? Like obscure yeah. early '90s movies of Brad yeah. Pitt are brilliant. He, he, he had a, a small part in Thelma and Louise, didn't he? As well. Yeah, yeah. Oh my um, God, he really did kind of build his way up. He didn't get the big break like everyone thinks he well, probably did. You know. But he did. He did his time though. Someone like Brad Pitt mm. did his time. You know, he proved yeah. that he could act and that he wasn't just, you know, a good-looking guy who could who. It was very sort of photogenic or telegenic, but it proved he could act, did his time, gradually built up. And like a lot of actors, they, it doesn't happen overnight, but it's probably for the best for some actors that they don't get success too soon. I rewatched uh, Fight Club last week and I forgot, like, I always kind of, you know, you see Fight Club and you go, eh, because like everyone talks about Fight Club, eh, mm. we have whatever Fight Club. And I always kind of overlook it because of the hype now. And I thought, mm. now nah, I'm going to rewatch it. And I forgot what a sterling performance everyone does in that movie mm. every mm. and then meatloaf's in it meatloaf I know. so hot <laughs> i am so sexually attracted to meatloaf it's disgusting like i love meatloaf like he is this giant overweight daddy creature stop having heart attacks meatloaf i love you like but just like jared leto's in that movie like doing a good acting which is surprising and, well like, not not I, yeah well, it's nice to see Jared Leto not overdoing it, over-egging the pudding, I think. He, he does tend to overdo it a bit, doesn't he, Jared Leto? But in the beginning, Jared Leto did a lot of very, like Brad Pitt, like we were just saying, he did a yeah. lot of very small roles. He was in Girl Interrupted in a very small bit part. Yeah, he had a little tiny bit part in Fight Club, you know. like, And then, obviously, he just, again, like Brad Pitt, good-looking guy, da-da-da-da-da, gets shot into all these main 
big big mm. roles and the mm. fame and and stuff like that but in the beginning yeah did his time did those tiny little parts no yeah. one remembers he was in girl interrupted and i'm like yeah he was the boyfriend for like literally two scenes that's it yeah I, and he's literally admit... got like three scenes in fight club isn't he like hardly anything yeah. hardly any I, lines i know but i i think that's i think where actors can do a cameo like that i mean they, they will stick in a, a casting agent's mind and to to get that kind of positive association with a with a film that's very successful, then yeah, I don't think could... Urban Legend was going to like launch his career or anything like that. But yeah, <laughs> when he was probably in not. Club, I yeah. like Urban Legend. Let's not drag it. It's dreadful but great <laughs> at the same time. Everyone loves Urban Legend. You get something out of it, Rachel. You know, you find some you find some something something in a film. This there's something that you like in most films that that we see. You know. I don't know. Oh, I absolutely hate Harry Potter, and I will never ever stand that franchise. And I think it's terrible. There are some things I absolutely I, hate. Yeah. Well, I I saw I saw the first Harry Potter film, and that that was really enough. Really. Jason, do you like Harry Potter? Let's just to hell with Lynch. Let's talk about what we hate. <laughs> Jason, do you like Harry Potter? Well, I was born in '84, so I think Harry Potter came a bit too late for me to like it. I think I was yeah. too old for that, maybe. It's trash. Yeah. It's trash. I don't get why so many adult women, white adult women in their 30s who love Harry Potter. I don't get it. It's a thing. I'm not involved in it. Get away but, from me with your cult. I but, don't but want to be a part of it. But it, it's something I wish I'd written because J.K. Rowling is, is so rich. <laughs> She's a white woman. In a, <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? Robert Patterson before Twilight was in Harry Potter. Apparently, I don't know. I haven't seen it, but apparently he was in that as well. Little oh, bit part, good for him. Oh, oh. I, never, I, never, I never knew that. See, you knew what he was doing though, didn't he? Really? No get yourself on Twilight a, Well, get yourself on a franchise that's doing the business, and that, that's it's it's like appearing in Game of Thrones, isn't it? Really, that oh. you. But you, you get you get it's like getting a foothold, Rachel, it's isn't it? Really? It's the foot in the door. My favourite thing is to watch YouTube clips of Robert Patterson um, slagging off Twilight, which is brilliant during the Twilight press junkets. It's fantastic. If you ever want to see a ma- um, an actor just be like, "This is trash. Yeah. I'm just in it for the cash." Just watch Robert Patterson on the Twilight press circuit. He's just like, "It's mad. It makes no sense. This is garbage." Like, it's brilliant. I love watching it so much. But you, see, it could, but you see, it could just be, though, that they've caught him at the end of the 20th interview that he's done in one day yeah. for, for a, a particular film. And it must get boring being asked the same questions over and over again, you know, and you've got to expound how, you know, how brilliant something is and how privileged you feel to be part of it and, you know, all that type of thing. So maybe I don't know, it, if they're paying me enough money, I'll say anything. <laughs> well, yeah, but there is a limit, though, isn't there? I suppose you know. I think that I wouldn't be trusted to be on any kind of press junket. <laughs> like, I feel like if anyone was my like PR manager or something like that, they'd be like, "Nah, just don't, don't let her. She's going to start talking about Hitler or something. Let's just let's cut her off before we begin." And I'd be like, "Oh man, Meatloaf's so sexy. He is sexy, yeah. though. You, and why was you, he in the Spice Girls movie? Stop it, Meatloaf." Was he? Was he? He's he the bus spot? driver. Oh, of course he is. Yeah, oh, that's right. I was tricked. I was tricked into watching a musical which I detest abhorrently. I don't want singing and dancing while I'm watching a movie. Singing and dancing is for singing and dancing times, <laughs> not movie times. Separate the two. I don't like musicals essentially. Anyway, so pal of mine was like, "Oh, Meatloaf is in a Rocky Horror Picture Show." 
it's a, just a movie. Yeah. You might like it. And I went, I'll watch it because I love Meatloaf. Straight off the bat, yeah. singing and dancing. What is happening? I'm not watching this trash. And then I had to wait 30 minutes for Meatloaf even to get on screen. And I was like, and then he dies. I was like, this is the worst movie that I've ever been tricked into watching. Uh, so I was very oh. angry about that. I don't like musicals. That's the end of today's TED Talk that, by me. <laughs> that, that, well, yeah. But I mean, we'll have to save that for another podcast, really. And you can explain in a bit more detail why you hate musicals. Music and, why... and film are separate. You can have a soundtrack. Yeah, yeah. I agree with that. David Lynch loves a soundtrack. We're getting back to David Lynch, I promise everyone. <laughs> yeah. Right. You can have movie music, but the movie shouldn't have people singing and dancing. Stop doing that thing. Uh... Do that separately. If I want to watch singing and dancing, I listen to music. I don't want to watch my movie and have singing and dancing. It makes it, I lose uh... focus. Stop singing and dancing. No one just all of a sudden is living their life and then going downtown. Like it doesn't happen. Like, and I can't, I think I can't invest because of that. Like I literally like can't invest when all of a sudden people start tap dancing isn't mamma yeah. mia like where they're on holiday or something and then people are singing yeah. abbott songs oh uh, well yeah it, it's candy floss though isn't it really uh, you know it's but if you if it's not what you like and what what you're into or not what you're expecting well you know fair enough i but, thought i was but, gonna have my socks blown off by meatloaf and rocky horror picture show and lucky i wasn't wearing any because i didn't <laughs> and it was trash <laughs> jason do you like musicals I'm not a big fan, but there are a couple of musicals that I do like, like Sin and Zorena and West Side Story. Yeah, they're good ah, fun. The old school ones. Yeah, I guess so. Brian, your favorite film is Footloose. We know that, so that's fine. No, I never said that. <laughs> never said that. No, 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 no. Giant goose. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't want to. I mean, I love Kevin Bacon a lot, but I'm not going to get into that. I've never watched Footloose. I refuse to, even though I love Kevin Bacon. I just literally watch on rerun him in Friday Thirteenth getting stabbed through the neck. That's the only thing I like to watch with Kevin Bacon. And Kevin then I'm like, he's good. That's do you know his be- his best role, Kevin Bacon, is on the was e- it- TV adverts for mobile phone data. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't quite <laughs> going to say that. No, a few good men. He, he was the um, the opposing barrister in barrister, DA attorney in mm. in a few good men opposite Tom Cruise. He was very good in that. Oh, maybe I should watch that because I like young Tom Cruise. Ah, well, there you go. Not 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 the older Tom Cruise though. I like um, Tom Cruise before Scientology fully penetrated him. Oh, like yeah. before the aliens and the Thetons came. I yeah. liked it when he was on the cusp of madness. Now he's in it. He's in the soup. The Theton levels, the aliens. Yeah. You know, that's his drama now. I liked young, soft, supple Tom Cruise. The firm <laughs> Tom Cruise. I think my end of Tom Cruise is Eyes Wide Shut. Like that's the last good movie with Tom Cruise in it, I think. Yeah, but they always make money, though. They, they, Tom Cruise films always make money. He makes money, Brian, because he's giving it to the aliens who are then upping his seat <laughs> on level so that he gets good roles in movies. It's like what it is. Yeah, John Travolta's oh. not got the same amount as much money as Tom Cruise, which is why he doesn't get as many film roles. Oh, Scientology. Is that what it is? I get it now. Seat levels are stopping you. Oh. you got to get them more money. Give them more money. It's not a pyramid scheme. <laughs> thank you for pointing that out rachel it's i really never thought of it. yeah never it wasn't written by a sci-fi fiction right like guy religion. yeah oh right okay. my feet on levels are very strong today <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm not giving enough money to the aliens. The eyes <laughs> one shot was where I cut off with Tom Cruise. Plus, I love that movie so much. So, yeah, it mirrors my life. It's beautiful. Just imagine if it was like my life. Anyway, talking of my lives being mirrored, and it's a shame because Jason's not seen this one. Again, Jason, you have to literally watch this movie. I'm going to quickly talk about my favorite one. We'll all talk about our favorite David Lynch movies. Keep that in mind. Um, Mm -hmm. My favorite David Lynch movie of all time is Firewalk With Me. Um, That movie was given to me by a friend who was like, yo, you're in this movie. And I was like, yeah, whatever. Like, you know when people say that about your personality, like, oh, you remind me of X, Y, and Z. Uh, Everyone was like, yo, you're Laura Palmer in Firewalk With Me. Like, that's your life. And I was like, we'll see. And I watched it and I was like, that is my life. Um, So that, but outside of me literally living the life of Laura Palmer in Twin Peaks Firewalk With Me, uh, apart from the, just preface the weird sexual molestation bit, that didn't happen. Uh, <laughs> I just remembered that massive part of the story. And I was like, that bit didn't happen. Just the the, rest, just, of it, the mm. rest of it does. The rest of it does. The crazy, like, <laughs> the crazy polyamory and weird nightclub, that all of that lifetime of style of choice is very Laura, very Laura Palmer, very me. But um, that movie, again, is stunning. It's comforting. It's mm. full of so many obscure, like, little, um, I don't know, symbolism, as, you, as we were saying earlier. Mm. Right? And obviously the weird cast of, like, David Bowie and Chris Isaac. Chris Isaac's so hot. And young, good-looking Kiefer Sutherland. Not when he's older, but when he was younger, he was hot. Um, he had a cut-off point. 24 was the cut-off point. And, um, you know, that movie is just, it's, it's everything. And again, in typical Lynch fashion, almost like Mulholland Drive, and I think mm. if you do watch it, Jason, you'll quite enjoy this as well. It's because there's the the weird sequencing of events where it's like the beginning bit is different from the middle of the movie and it's all broken up. And, and oh, I love that movie. I'm in that movie. Did you know? It's you. I'm Laura it's Palmer. You. It's you, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. All this time, I'm Laura Palmer. Yeah, that's what's <laughs> happening. That's why I made this whole podcast. I've used my psychic powers. Um did you like, but I wasn't molested. Um, did you like, just one doth protest too much. Did you mm. like it, Brian? Yeah. The movie yeah, about my life. <laughs> the movie of your life. Yeah. yeah. Now I know it's the movie of you. I shall go and watch it again with you in mind. You, won't you? Yeah, that is um, my life. No, yeah, it, look, it's very good. There, There is, it, there are certain motifs in David Lynch movies that, that you, you want to see, that you expect mm. to see. And you see that in this film and yeah. again there there is a quality there that is inescapable really um and it's the kind kind of film that you you're very naturally very drawn to um and it's it's the it's the prequel to technically it's the prequel to twin peaks isn't it so yeah. you it's filling in the backstory um i've i always find prequels more difficult to get to grips with than sequels. Um, sequels mm. suit me better because it's more going in a straight line. But it's prequels. It is is forcing, not forcing you, but it's encouraging you to look back to the backstory and how characters came to be, how how they are. And I thought I was going to feel that way because I did watch Twin Peaks first. Um, as I said with the boyfriend at the time, I did that way. But I actually. I would favour watching Firewalk with me over Twin Peaks, which is really weird because I am like you. I usually prefer a sequel to a prequel. I'm not one, mm. I'm not one for an origin story, if you will. 
Yeah. You know, um, but for some reason, that movie just, yeah, that ticks a lot of boxes for me. Jason, what's your favorite Lynch movie? Or is it Mulholland Drive? I think you said earlier. Yeah, it is Mulholland Drive, but a close second one is actually the straight story as well. Have you seen that? No, I haven't. Brian, have you? Which one's that? Sorry? The, the, the straight story. Oh, the straight story. Yeah, I have. That is actually very good. Uh, that was one of his laser efforts, wasn't it? That was when was that? Late nineties. Yeah, that's the that's the film with City Spacek in, I think, isn't it? It was inspired uh, by a true event about an elderly man yeah. in America who you goes to visit his brother yeah. who travels a long distance with his hundreds of miles with his lawnmower yeah. to see yeah. his brother who has suffered a stroke, I think. That- yeah, yeah it, that's that is a very good film actually. And I know it's the movie pr- we're talking about, and it's always been on my list. But I, for some reason, I've pushed it back. But I feel like maybe I should watch it, like realizing it's a David Lynch film. It's another one of those films I didn't realize was a Lynch. Oh my gosh! Yeah, but you see, yeah, I think that's probably what makes it uh, stand out more because it is slightly different. It's a bit like Elephant Man. It's not. It's not what we would see as typical of being David Lynch. And I think the straight story um, is. It's a very good film and probably underrated as well. Uh, I, I like the, the the concept of a physical journey, where he's driving to see uh, his dying brother just to set the record straight, and you you learn that that kind of physical and emotional journey that mingles together. And it's very cleverly put together, and uh, probably doesn't get as much of a, a shout generally as other David Lynch films. And I agree with you, with you Jason. It's a very good film. Um, very well put together and it's slightly different from what you'd normally expect from Lynch which gives it more more, more, more punch I think because of that so yeah it's a very good film I believe that no you go you go Jason oh, sorry yes I, I believe that David, David Lynch did not take part in the screenplay by one of the stick and that's the first time for him I think the only time so far that didn't take part, part as a scriptwriter for the right. film Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think sometimes though, that's probably for the best though, that if you separate um, those two demarcation lines between director and writer are very different functions, right? And you will often get directors who do both, but I think sometimes it can be better if you've got somebody doing writing the scripts as well. And then the director can just concentrate on the way it's projected on screen. I, I think it works best, and that might be a good example of that, actually, Jason. So, that, yeah, it's an interesting what point. What is do- your favourite one, Brian? Oh, sorry, Jason, I just interrupted you. No, I was just saying I agree with you, Brian. Yeah, David Lynch does a great job as director in that film, definitely. Yeah, I think I think there's there's always a danger that you could you could spread your talents a bit too thinly sometimes, and uh, I think that's a good example of where that demarcation between roles really works well. Rachel, my favourite my favourite um, Lynch film, I I would still it's difficult. I think um, I think the films we've discussed are all great. You know, they they're all. Um, rewarding and challenging uh for, for the viewer but i think i would still come back to elephant man uh, that's your one man that's your that's your your lover the elephant man. The, yeah you that's yeah that's that's the yeah that's the love that's the one that i think really does it for me because it i suppose really like as i said earlier it doesn't ask too much of you but it tells a very 
uh, a very simple but heartwarming. It's that phrase, isn't it? Heartwarming. You know, <laughs> not necessarily not necessarily a feel good movie, but but it's it's just that those characters, the way the way they play off of each other, and mm. the the way uh, Treves played by Anthony Hopkins, the way he he changed from someone who was trying to make a name for himself by displaying John Merrick as uh, a medical curiosity, but he came to respect him and care for him. And I, I think the way that relationship grows between Merrick and Treves is fascinating, really. It's, it's just a great story. It's um, like Schindler's List, where in the beginning he was like, I'm going to use the Jews because they're cheaper. But then at the end, he's like, I quite like you. Yeah, I know. This is it. But <laughs> this is the way. But it's kind of, that's a good comparison, though. I think yeah. you're right. But I think for that, it becomes my, my favourite Lynch movie because of the strength of storytelling. Whereas in, in other films, I mean, I love Blue Velvet, Twin Peaks, The Straight Story, Mulholland Drive. They're all beautiful films. The way, the way they're made, there's, there's so much uh, effort uh, and love that's gone into those films being made. But they're not quite as uh, coherent. They're more abstract. They, they demand a lot of you. And that's what I come back to. And I think The Elephant Man is a much simpler story to follow. Even though all the other films are great, they're brilliant. And I, I think David Lynch is a great filmmaker, but I, th- I think really he scores most points with me with mm. a film that could tell a story in a more linear form. I think that's probably what I'm trying to say. That's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> that was a beautiful tale. I think this week I have learned from the podcast that I'm going to watch a straight story, even though it's a Disney production. Boo! But I will watch it because it seems interesting. Um, and also, I feel like I, if I was doing drugs, I would love to take acid and watch a race ahead. Like I feel like that's a, a window of opportunity in my sobriety, my pre-sobriety days. I missed. Very sad I didn't get to do that. But when we were talking about a race ahead, and I was looking at the pictures of it, I thought, man, if I was on acid, that is wild. Um, but I didn't. I tell you a fun story, though. Oh, no, we're not allowed to talk about it because it's all PC. I didn't do acid whilst at a um, Wicker Man festival once. That never happened. Oh, oh right. That didn't happen. Okay. I mean, when oh, you we're, we're, we're talking about, I mean, talking about the Wicker Man, you, you mean the, the 1973 original with yep. Edward Woodward. Oh, you're not talking about the remake, are you? I love the remake. Don't. don't. Oh, oh, Come no, on, really? he punches women face while he's dressed up as a bear there's so much about that movie that's insane but yeah all of it there's a wicker man festival where i live kind of thing based around it and i did that but i wish i'd done it and watched a race ahead instead um that's what this podcast i have come to realize i'm gonna watch a straight story the other stuff yeah that was a that was the before time what are we all taking away from today's events wicker man I, I think look, I think we we've probably got more into the detail of uh, David Lynch. What makes him a great director? Mm. How he how he um, provokes a response uh, in us as viewers, as film lovers, that that he makes you think. Right, and far too often we can watch a film that doesn't get us to do that because it, it's just not it's not appealing to to our intellect on any level. But I think David Lynch does make you think a lot more and does make you search a lot harder for what something means and that it's not always obvious. It's more abstract, but that can be just as entertaining, I think. And 
I, I think it's an example of a, a very creative filmmaker that that makes you work. The reward's there, but you have to concentrate and you dig have to watch deep. it. Yeah, yeah, you have to dig deep. You have to dig deeper. And I think I'm beginning to understand why uh, you need to do that with David Lynch. Um, but you you get something from it, and you know he's good. And I'm a bit closer to working out why he's such a great director because that's what he makes you do. How dare you make me think. Jason, what are you taking away from this evening's podcast? That I need to uh, eat a pie while watching the Twin Peaks. Yay! Yay. <laughs> you have to yeah. do it. And then the movie okay. is about me. So that's exciting for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> People who've watched Firewalk with me are probably like, what is this person's life? This is dreadful. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, it's fine. Um uh, yeah, I think it's been beautiful. I think David Lynch is... Uh, do you know what? I was going to say earlier when we were woofing on about Twin Peaks, um, I'm surprised that Twin Peaks hasn't got a cult, um, a sort of renaissance, if you will, with the third season and more of the younger generation have got into it. I thought that was something that was going to happen. Like True Romance, as we were saying, it takes a few years to take off. I'm quite surprised that Twin Peaks hasn't had a bit of a, you know, Gen, uh, Gen X... What are they? No, what are we, we're millennial. I'm millennial. Gen Z, Gen Z research. I'm surprised more people haven't got into it of the people in their twenties yet. But yeah. um, oh, I think well, it will. Out. Yeah, I think it will come though because yeah, I feel like be, it will. It will. It will come because because I think it's you do get cycles. You you do get trends where some films will disappear. Then then suddenly they'll get possibly they'll get remade or Lynch. Oh. I mean, but Lynch, you see though, Lynch hasn't made a feature film. Uh, for God knows how long. Uh, a while, two, yeah. 2006. 2006. Well, in the yeah. Yeah, 2006. And that's far too long for someone like David Lynch to be away from feature films. But maybe he needs to reactivate it. And that I think it's a shame that films that are so beautifully made are being not forgotten, but they're being pushed into the background far too much. And I think, as you mentioned, Rachel, I think it, it's surprising that these films haven't been picked up by the generations mm. that have followed us. Yeah. And they they, they deserve to be uh, to be picked up and, and turned into a cult. And I think they do have that kind of following, but maybe from people of my generation and your generation, Jason's yeah. generation, but maybe not those that have followed. And it's a bit like passing on a baton, isn't it? But I, I think where quality wins through in the end, uh, and I, I think you you realise what the great films are. And I, I think feel it's like becoming... everyone else now who's on like our, or listens to our podcast to it, or is also one of our podcast, you know, film critics is mm. going to be like you boring old idiots. <laughs> yeah. Stop it's, being old. <laughs> yeah, I know. But, but you see, the, the thing is, they, they may well say that, though. But it's, it, it, if something's good, it's good. You yeah, know, it's, that's the thing. That's why I'm very surprised, especially with something like TV, Twin Peaks. It's not had this, like... Because um, everything's, like, very 90s at the moment. There's, like, this big 90s resurgence. Mm. So, like, you know, obviously a lot of the young... The, the generation below millennials is very into, like, 90s TV shows, like, 90s pop culture. I'm really surprised that Twin Peaks hasn't come along with that. And um, mm. it's a shame because, sure, we can all watch Saved by the Bell. Sure, we can all be involved in the dramas of Screech and Kelly and Slater. But what about Twin Peaks? Mm. Where is that place in the next it's culture? It's much better it's than a, Saved by the Bell. No one likes it, Saved by the Bell. It's a missed opportunity, I think, isn't God. it? But... Saved by the Bell was trash. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. That was not they, a good show. They, look, it's, it's, kids today don't know what they're missing, do they? That's the point. 
I mean, the 90s, we had... I mean, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air had a huge resurgence when they put it on Netflix. I think if they did something like they put Twin Peaks on that kind of platform, because you have to pay for it on Amazon Prime and all that kind of stuff. I think if it was, like, for free on a platform like Netflix, like Amazon Prime, like something like those things. I think, along along with things like Mulholland Drive, I couldn't find Mulholland Drive on any of those platforms. I know. I know. That's surprising. I was really surprised by that. Particularly Mulholland Drive as well, which is Mm. probably... I think really with Lynch, you're talking about Twin Peaks. You ask any any film fan to name a David Lynch film, they're going to say either Twin Peaks or Mulholland or they're Drive. Going to, or Mulholland Drive. It's going to be one of those. And you think those two would be available? No, on they're either. not at all. I know they're not. I, I can't Crazy. believe that. I'm really surprised. They wanted actually. me to pay seven ninety nine to watch Mulholland Drive, and I was like, no. <laughs> well, the thing is, though, we we pay enough for our packages, don't we? We've got. Amazon Prime, we've got Netflix, yeah. we've got we've got Sky, we've got all all these digital platforms. And you think it's got to be a, a limit somewhere, and we we shouldn't have to pay extra, should we necessarily to to see? I, yeah, I do certainly know. think that maybe that's why there hasn't been this sort of like cult resurgence with Lynch. It's just because his stuff is just nowhere to be find found on well, particularly UK platforms, and that's kind of downheartening. I couldn't even find. Um, Blue Velvet, that was on mm. none of them. And I was, uh, I, I own a race ahead, so I didn't look for it. But um, I looked for The Elephant Man just because I can also, I also own that. I couldn't be bothered to walk to where my DVDs were to find it. <laughs> Again, I couldn't find it. And I think that that's, that probably does speak to why he's not had the exposure that a lot of his movies deserve. And it's like we were saying about with the, um, Jason's favorite, the straight story. Mm. You know, no one ever sees that. I've never seen that come up on a big platform. And it's a shame, um, you know, because they give places to people like Kubrick and there is places to sometimes people like Lars von Trier, you know, Mm. they'll put his movie up and it's like, it's a shame that Lynch has kind of been sort of forgotten maybe or pushed aside. I don't know why they would push him aside, but, you know, maybe more forgotten. Yeah, I I think that, I think as time time rolls on, appreciation uh, heightens, I think. But I think, yeah, his films do need to be made more more accessible on mm. on the platforms that that we we're, we're aware of that we know about, but also I think he needs to be a bit more proactive as well, you know. And I think there's potential to revisit uh, the films that he's made and update them and mm. and do and do a sequel. I mean, uh, you know, sequels and as far as they go, they one thing they do do apart from making money is that they reactivate what is a very strong story and a very strong brand. And I think that's probably something he needs to do. Um, I would love to see Blue Velvet remade. I think that one would certainly be fun. Yeah, I know. But this is it. So I think there's huge potential there if Lynch wanted to do it. But I think he would need to do it. I wouldn't yeah. like to see anyone else... Um, just James Cameron directing like yeah, I don't, well, yeah, no, I don't know. trash no, like that. I know, but you know, I, I think he needs to. I think Lynch needs to do it because it, they are they are great films, and they but we need to breathe more life into them uh, <clears> because it doesn't stop being a great film. I don't think any of his films should be remade. No, Ooh, no, no. Well, what I what I was thinking was uh, was maybe maybe a, a sequel. A follow-up to Blue Velvet, for example. A sequel uh, to Blue Velvet, really? Okay, go ahead, well, Brian. No, I was going to say, why not? You know, um, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure we could all sit down and, and think, and think of the way ways of that plot being picked up. It's you called know. Red Velvet, and the whole film is about um, someone working in a fabric swatch factory. 
brilliant. See? Just rubbing different types of velvet. And it's like completely to the to the line and everyone's like that's exactly what i expected from that movie and yeah. everyone's like blown away because <laughs> david lynch has gone in the opposite direction but done it th- movie every yeah. podcast i write a new movie you're welcome whoever's stealing my ideas in five years time that movie will come out and we'll watch it <laughs> red <laughs> velvet <laughs> you don't know what what you've started you see he could be listening david lynch could be listening couldn't he to us you don't that'd know. be crazy i think you're yeah. a very handsome silver fox of a man david lynch come at me you've got money i'm poor let's hook up <laughs> uh, it's just it's a financial exchange now laura palmer where are you well everyone i think it's been an absolutely fantastic uh deep dive into the mysterious world of david lynch because it is mysterious mm. And that's fantastic. And we're back next week. I'm not back next week. Are either of you guys back next week for the next podcast? I, I am, yes. Oh, what's the topic then, Jason? Hit us up. The Scream films. <gasps> oh, yeah. Because Scream 5 is coming out. I literally mm. just watched Scream 4 on Netflix the other day because I have a crush on Rory Culkin. Movie's dreadful. Rory Culkin's hot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but awesome. So next week we have Scream, the Scream trilogy. Uh, whoa, no, what are we up to? Number five. What would you call five? Quad? No, not quad. The, the, the first screen, the screen, screen film. Yeah, screen, it's, just called, it's just called Scream Five, isn't it? No, it's just called Scream, no number. Oh, yeah. wow. See, okay. No, I don't know why. So there's, there's something new though, isn't it? Really, there's a, a sequel that doesn't have a Roman numeral or a number in its title. So everyone look forward to that. Jason will be on that one next week. And as we always say, give us a follow on Spotify, share us on your socials, enjoy all that drama. And if you enjoyed us, we'll be back next week to talk about Ghostface. I won't, Brian won't, uh, but Jason will. Talking about Ghostface and all of his uh, stibbity stabs that he likes Mm. to do. And will Neve Campbell survive another film? God, I hope not. But that's a controversial opinion for another time. Just die already, Sydney Prescott. <laughs> I was watching the fourth one and I was like, just die. And she didn't. And it was disappointing. But anyway, it's bye from me. It's bye from Brian. Bye. And it's bye from Jason. Goodbye. Thank you very much. Thank you, everyone. It was fantastic. See you next week. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.